Oh, yeah. 
so thankful um, for your love. God, you're the reason we sing. The sacrifice that you made on the cross is the reason that we sing, Lord, the reason that we praise you. So thank you for that, Lord. God, I pray that today um, your Holy Spirit would work through John, Lord, and we would learn something new, God. We would learn something um, to grow closer to you. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in this place. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. Good morning. I snuck up here during the prayer. If you had your eyes closed. Yeah. Oh, wow. We got a swinging mic. It'll stop. Or we'll stop it. There we go. <laughs> All right. Can we get it back on there? Can you tell him to jump? Not cool. I think we've got it. All right. So my name is John Wilkerson. Good morning. How you guys doing? Glad to be here. So I am the BCM director at Oklahoma State University. Uh, I've been there for two years, but I've been a BCM director for 11. So I'm older than I look. Uh, I started with BCM my last semester of college. I started at Rose State College in Midwest City, and I was the BCM director there for six years. While I was there, I also did two years at Redlands Community College in El Reno. So they're on the same road, I-40, but they're 50 miles apart, and I lived right in the middle. I did both of those uh, while doing seminary, and then I started doing uh, Redlands and then USAO in Chickasha. And I was in Chickasha for four years leading the ministry there. Uh, just doing BCM work, helping students follow Jesus. And over this time, I've got to see, I think, the most diverse group of students come to faith. So we had a girl who was Hispanic, and she grew up in a Catholic background but didn't know Jesus. She came to Jesus. She gave her life to him and started following the Lord and got discipled after that. There was a girl uh, who was Native American who grew up out by Anadarko, and she gave her life to Jesus and started following him as the Lord. We had a student named Manish, and he was from Kathmandu, Nepal. And he grew up Hindu. But some people just loved him. And when he was cold, they bought him a coat. And when he needed a ride, they gave him a ride. And they shared the gospel with him. And he believed. And he quit following the gods of Hinduism. And he started following Jesus as the one true Lord. And he didn't just put Jesus on the shelf with all the other gods. He made Jesus the one true God in his life. We also had a student who, uh, she went to Chickasha because she wanted to do... Um, deaf ministry. She wanted to study deaf education so she could minister in that community. And there was another girl who came there to study deaf education because she was deaf and she didn't know the Lord. And then one day we're at a conference. It's called Momentum. It's our big statewide BCM conference. And I got to be up there sharing the gospel and I'm, I'm laying out the gospel during the altar call. And I see my student who's studying deaf education because she wants to do ministry and she's sharing the gospel in sign language. And the girl who was deaf 
uh, received the Lord, repented, came to faith, and then was discipled in sign language for the next year. Like, how cool is that? College ministry is awesome. At OSU, we had a girl who was in a group project, and they thought she was weird. But she kept serving them and kept trying to share the gospel. And eventually she got to share the gospel to a girl just weeks before she passed away from cancer. A student did. And she received the gospel like two weeks before, praise Jesus. And then uh, one of our students, Jason, who was playing the drum, uh, he probably wouldn't want me telling you his name. But he got to go overseas and share the gospel for a summer. And he came back and uh, started investing in some Chinese students who were at OSU. Because at OSU there's 25,000 students from over a hundred different countries. The whole world comes to Stillwater, Oklahoma. So he starts investing in a Chinese student. Uh, they study the Bible together. He asks him, do you want to follow the Lord? He says, no. They keep meeting. Do you want to follow the Lord? He says, no. And then one night, Jason comes to BCM. He's about to play the box drum, and he tells me that he got to lead his friend to Jesus. How awesome is that? God is moving at OSUBCM. And here's what I think is kind of the, the secret sauce, if you will, of, of our ministry. It's you. It's longevity. It's because we're able to have a ministry decade after decade after decade because we're not supported by one church. A lot of times we see somebody come in and a young couple comes to their church. They love college students. College students love them, and they have a great ministry. But then in a couple years... Uh, something happens. Maybe their kids are in the youth group, so they start doing youth ministry instead, or God calls them somewhere else. And then that ministry that was running 40 or 60 students, all of a sudden it's running almost nothing because that one church struggles to keep a college ministry going based on who they have and who comes and goes. But because the BCM is our ministry, we're not supported by one church, but by a whole association of local churches, we're able to have a ministry year after year and decade after decade. And I believe that the value of BCM's longevity, and that longevity is provided by the strength and perseverance of our local church. It's provided by you. So I just want to say thank you this morning. Uh, you guys may not know this, but your church, because you give to the cooperative program, and because specifically you're a part of our association, our ministry is your ministry. So every time a student moves to America, gets shared the gospel with, repents, believes in Jesus, like that's a ministry of your church. Like you are part of that action. Whenever uh, students come to campus, they're discipled. That's part of your ministry. Over Christmas break, we took 55 students to Houston to do disaster relief. So 55 students went down to Houston. We did sheetrock, did some mud out to help families get back in their homes. And because of that, like your church sent 55 college students to Houston to do ministry because it really is your BCM, even if you're an OU fan. I think, I think God's in, in Norman too. I heard he was. But our ministry is your ministry. So when God does things at OSU, he's doing stuff in your church, by your church. And the truth is we don't exist without you. We're not a parachurch organization like Crew or some other ministries you've heard of. We are an arm of the local church. So we are the arm of Baptist churches in Oklahoma. They decided we need a full-time missionary presence at Oklahoma State University. Because basically it's a small city inside of a small town. I said we need a missionary presence there every day. And that's who we are. And without you guys, we can't be there sharing the gospel day in and day out. A couple updates about the ministry. Uh, Some of you may have heard we sold our building, so we don't have a building anymore. Uh, What we did is we got property on the north side of campus, and right now there's a two-story white house on it, and that's where we office. 
So we meet in the West Watkins Center for our large group worship. It's the one right across from the stadium that has the big dude holding the, the metal globe. Uh, the big metal globe out front is where we meet. We meet inside that building. Um, and we have property and money in the bank, and we're looking to raise some more so that we can build a building that 50 years down the road is everything we need it to be. The old building was a hub of ministry for decades, but it was dilapidated. It had asbestos. Uh, it needed to be uh, updated, and it was a better deal for us to sell, get property and money, and move to the north side of campus. So we're looking forward to that. It's going to be really awesome. A way that you can pray for us um, is pray for our leadership team. We have a unique situation this year. So uh, three years ago, we had 34 students on leadership. This year, and they have to apply, they fill out an application, they get interviewed. Uh, this year, we have 82 students on our leadership team. So my prayer is that we are a coiled spring, that we're a compressed spring, and that God is going to use that potential energy to reach the campus, that we'll reach more and more students with the gospel. But mobilizing that many students is new to us, and it's a challenge. So would you pray that we'd be able to mobilize those students for the gospel on campus? That'd be a great thing. And also, thank you. Uh, we do a leadership retreat every year, twice a year, and churches do meals for us, and you guys provided breakfast. So that was great. We had some donuts from a local donut shop, and it was delicious. So thank you very much. All right, enough of that. Uh, we're going to jump into the Bible. You guys ready? Cool. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us through your word today. In your name we pray. Amen. So this morning we're going to talk about prayer, and specifically we're going to talk about praying proactively. Because I think if we were to ask uh, a church, typically for like a, a prayer meeting, if we were to say, what are your prayer requests? We're going to get a lot of, you know, my grandpa's sick. And, man, we ought to pray for that. We should. We're going to get a lot of, uh, man, we're having some financial difficulties. And we should absolutely pray for those things. But if you're like me, then you catch yourself always praying behind the curve. Right? We're always praying in response to a situation that's gone awry. We're always saying, God, fix this huge mess that's happened, rather than praying before there, saying, God, keep me out of this mess. God, help my finances before I ever get in trouble. God, would you please uh, keep us healthy before we ever get sick? God, would you change our hearts before we fall into sin, instead of always asking God to forgive us? So today we're going to look at prayer. We're going to look at how God gives, and we're going to look at praying proactively. We're going to start in James, and then we're going to hit the Lord's Prayer quickly, and then we're, we'll be done. So uh, I'm not a prayer warrior. I don't know if any of you guys would say that you are. Uh, I wish that I was. There's been a couple times in my life that I've prayed, and I've just seen God move specifically. So when I was in high school, I grew up in a small town called Tuttle, and uh, it's like southwest of Oklahoma City by about 30 minutes. And my dad had a heart attack when I was in high school, and he, he smoked like a chimney didn't take care of himself, and he had a heart attack, and he had to have a five-bypass heart surgery. So they took veins out of his legs from uh, his ankles on up, and they patched his heart. When they did that, it messed up his legs, and he had some pain and things like that, so he got on prescription pain pills. So you maybe know where this is going. Maybe someone in your family has struggled with this. Uh, he became a drug addict. He became a legitimate junkie, and he would do whatever it took to get these pills. He would lie. He would cheat. He would steal. Whatever it took, uh, manipulate people to get these pills because he had to have them. He would take a whole month's worth of pills in about three days, and for the rest of the month, he would just shake and try to get them. And it got bad. He hadn't left our house in about two years except to go to the hospital. 
He treated my mom horribly. Uh, he treated everybody in his life horribly. Things were bad. He was on the brink of death, literally. And my little brother still lived there, and it was horrible. And he said, we got to do something. And I lived in the city at the time. My older brother had a house in Tuttle. And he said, we got to do something today. And I was tired. I didn't want to go, honestly. You ever been, like, camp tired? Like, you get back from Falls Creek, and you're just so exhausted. You're like, I don't think I can talk to anybody. That's how I was. I just wanted to sleep. We said, we got to go. So we drove to my brother's house in Tuttle. I remember specifically, we sat in his floor, and we prayed. My two brothers, they love the Lord. And we sat in the floor, and we prayed specifically, God, would you open his eyes? Would you let him see the truth? Would you let him see that he needs help? And would you change his life? Specifically, God, open his eyes so he would see the truth. We got to his house, and it it looked like it was too late. He was slumped over on a counter, and it it looked like he was gone. But we woke him up, brought him into the living room. We we told him the truth. Told him that we loved him, that we needed a dad. Then we started talking to him about Jesus. And the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life happened. It's like he opened his eyes, and he was his old self that we hadn't seen in years. And it's like he could see the truth clearly. It was specifically what we prayed for. And he said, guys, I need help. And that was just amazing. He hadn't wanted help in in years. And then he said, hey, is there somewhere I could go so your mom doesn't have to see me go through this? And that was a miracle. He hadn't cared about her in years. It was amazing to see what God did. Then through some situations, we got him into a detox program. Uh, He got off prescription pain pills. Um, He had been smoking after the heart attack. He was still smoking five packs a day which is, I think it's like 100 cigarettes a day. It's insane. Uh, It'll also make you poor. But he quit smoking. And then it was the craziest thing. He he was his old self, and he started treating my mom like she was his wife and started treating us like we were his kids. And it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen, that God opened his eyes. And I think that we serve a God who answers prayer who wants us to pray, but I think there's some specific ways we're supposed to do it. So today we're going to look at that. Let's look at James 1.5. James 1.5 says this. It says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. So this is specifically in the context of how God gives wisdom in the midst of trials to those who ask in faith. But I think we can make the application that this is how God gives good things to his people when they ask. It says he gives to all men, he gives generously, he gives without reproach. I used to live in kind of a rough part of Oklahoma City. It was the kind of place where if you're outside very long, someone was going to ask you for money. And in a small town growing up, I had never experienced that. Like, there were no homeless people in Tuttle, but in Oklahoma City downtown, there's, a, there's quite a few. It was the kind of place where one day I'm in the parking lot, and a homeless gentleman on a bicycle uh, came up and tried to sell me a wedding dress. But I didn't buy it because it didn't fit. And uh, the kind of place where if you're outside, they, they're just always asking, one day I go to 7-Eleven, and I pull up, and there's a guy sitting by the door on the ground, and I just, I kind of don't want to mess with it that day, and uh, so I go in to get a Coke, because I have a Coke problem, and I come out, and this guy stops me, and he says, hey, so I look down, and he's probably in his 40s, but looks like he's in his 50s, he has a three-day beard and the shakes, like a guy that needs a drink, and he has these papers in his hands, and he says, hey, uh, I'm sick, and I need medicine, so I tried to give blood to get money to buy the medicine, but I couldn't uh, give blood because I'm sick. And then he just kind of goes through it again and just starts going to say, sir, how can I help you? What do you need? He said, a couple dollars would be great. 
And that day, I had a whole pocket full of cash. I normally don't carry cash. That day, I had a whole bunch. I don't know why. But I didn't want him to know that. So I go to my truck. I fumble around in the dash while really I'm just pulling that money out. I take a one. I put the rest back in. I go out. I hand it to him. He says, thanks. And I go on with my day. Here are some things that I could have been thinking while I hand him this dollar. I could say, here, take this dollar, but you're just going to waste it. I could say, here, take this dollar, but you don't deserve it. I could say, here is a dollar just so that you'll leave me alone. Aren't you glad I'm not God? Aren't you glad that God doesn't treat people the way we treat people? The Bible says that God gives to all men. He gives generously. He gives without reproach. He gives to all men. He does not discriminate based on age, sex, or socioeconomic class. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, which side of the tracks you grew up on. It doesn't matter if your dad was a Christian or a heathen. It says that he gives to all men. The Bible also says that he gives generously. This literally is open-handedly. He would never pull a wad of cash out, take a one, and hide the rest. Instead, it's open-handedly, take what you need. It's not one of those weird tug-of-war things when somebody hands you something, but they don't really want to give it to you, and you end up in one of these. No, it's open-handedly, take what you need. Then he says, without reproach. That's not a word we use very often, right? You probably never told your wife to quit reproaching you. That's not a thing that we do. But here's what we see. God could say, here, take this, but you're going to waste it. Man, that'd be true, right? How many times have we wasted the good things God's given us? He could say, here, take this, but you don't deserve it. Man, absolutely true. He would be fine in saying that, but he doesn't do it. He could say, here, take this just so you'll leave me alone. But that's not who God is. We serve a God who gives to all men. He gives generously, and he gives without reproach. That's how he gives. Now let's look at how we're supposed to pray. Let's go to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. We're going to quickly go through the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. It says this. It says, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What we're going to see in this is that it's... uh, it's not a word-for-word prescription. It's not telling you how you have to pray word-for-word. Like, you don't have to do this before every meal. What it's doing is it's giving us a description. It's telling us how we ought to pray. Use this as an example. Use this as a model when you talk to God. So we have uh, an address, and then we have six petitions in this. We have an address and then six petitions. The address is this. He says, Our Father who is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. So we start with this uh, This idea of him as our father, which means there's this nearness and this trust and this closeness. Like a child would trust his father, and all he wants to do is be with his father. We have that relationship with God. There's a nearness. But for some people, calling God father is difficult. It's hard because maybe your earthly father wasn't around. Maybe your dad didn't love you. Maybe your dad was abusive. Maybe your dad wasn't a picture of God at all. So the idea of calling God Father is painful. The analogy only works one way. Our fathers are supposed to act like God, but God is not like our dads. But fathers, you're supposed to be like him. 
So he's our father, but it also says in heaven. So there's this otherness. He's our father who's near and close, but there's this otherness because he's in heaven and he's bigger than us and better than us and so much more than we could ever imagine. So he's our father, but he's also in heaven. And that's who we're talking to. Then he says, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. And this isn't saying necessarily, God, that that you would be famous, that you would be uh, high and lifted up because he already is. Right? He's already God. He's already in heaven. And we're saying, yes, God, be that, but he already is that. So what we're really saying is that more and more people would call on the name of God, that his name would be great in their hearts, that more and more people would set Jesus on the throne in their own lives. At the BCM, one of our uh, strategy points is uh, that we want to teach as many students as possible how to follow Jesus and help them lead others to do the same. It's as many as possible. And it's not because we want a big ministry. It's not because we want to fill the room. It's because every day I walk past thousands of students walking down the campus, and I have no idea if they know Jesus. But I know what our culture says college life is supposed to be. And it's full of shame, regret. It leaves scars. It leaves people looking over their shoulder, hoping nobody finds out what they did. But Jesus died to set us free. So we pray that more and more and more people would believe that Jesus is all that he says he is. As many students as possible, his name would be hallowed. The next thing we see is he says, thy kingdom come. And this is that we would choose up front to subject ourselves to Christ. John Calvin, a long time ago, said the kingdom comes in two ways. He says the spirit shapes our desires within us and the word shapes our thoughts. So the kingdom comes in two ways. The spirit shapes our desires, the things that we want. And the word, as it renews our mind, it shapes our thoughts. And the kingdom of God comes in our hearts in that way. It comes in our lives. It's not going to be a brick and mortar kingdom. It's a kingdom of our hearts bowed down to him. So in how we spend our money, it's his kingdom. In how you love your wife, it's his kingdom. In how you work, if you're a hard worker or if you're lazy, you do it as though you live in the kingdom of God. You choose up front to live in his kingdom. Then he says, thy will be done. Because he is father, we can say, your will be done. Whatever you want to do, God, your will be done. There's not many people that I would say, blank check, whatever you want to do, I'm in. But because he's father and because he's in heaven, because he's big and great, but also near and close, we can say, God, whatever you want to do, I'm in. And if it's not something that we love, if it's not something that feels good, we can rest on some words by an old theologian who said, grant us grace to bear willing all sorts of sickness, poverty, disgrace, suffering, and adversity to recognize that in this, his divine will is crucifying our will. Sometimes life is hard and it hurts, but God is using that to say that his will will be done in his kingdom and help us to get off our own will in our own kingdoms. Then he says, give us this day our daily bread. Give us our daily bread. Uh, These are necessities. It's not your daily ribeye. It's daily bread. It's what you need to live. Proverbs 30 verse 8 says, give me neither poverty lest I steal nor riches lest I forget my need for you. I think this is really smart. Sometimes the worst thing that can happen to somebody is they get rich. They forget they need God. They forget who God is, and it wrecks their life. There's documentaries about that kind of stuff. So we're praying is, God, would you give me today what I need? Give me today. Don't wait until you're starving to ask God 
to be with you. Instead, pray ahead of the curve. Pray, God, would you meet my needs today? And then tomorrow you get up, God, will you meet my needs today? Because that's all I need. Because I'm going to trust you tomorrow to meet my needs tomorrow. Give me what I need. It's kind of the idea of uh, never shop hungry. You ever go to the grocery store when you're hungry? You end up just buying the whole store out, and you get home, you're like, dude, I did not need that many pizza rolls. Like, that is insane. But you were hungry when you went shopping. So what you've got to do is pray, God, today give me what I need. Give us our daily bread. And then forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. I think this is one of the hardest things anybody can do, is to forgive somebody that's hurt you, is to forgive people what they owe you. In fact, I think it's such a hard thing to do that in being able to truly forgive others, you prove that you've been forgiven. It's evidence that Jesus is in your life when you can legitimately forgive others. And here's the truth. If you can't forgive people for what they've done, one of two things are going on. One, you need to repent and get back with Jesus. Or two, you may not know Jesus in the first place. If you can't forgive, maybe it shows that you've never been forgiven. So I would say this. If that's something that you struggle with in your heart, ask, do I know Jesus? And if you do, get back on track with him. And if you don't, follow him for the first time. I think that that will greatly help you forgive those in your life. We're almost done. He says, lead us not into temptation. I think this is huge. Another theologian said this, this petition is not designed to avoid the trials of this world, but to protect us from naked exposure to the attacks of Satan. Because we know that God doesn't tempt us, but we're asking God, keep me from temptation. If you find yourself constantly saying, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I did it again. God, I can't believe I did it again. I hate myself. Then you're waiting too long to pray. Don't wait until you've fallen into some sort of sin that dishonors God and your family before you look to Jesus. If you look to Jesus here and say, God, keep me from that, then we're not praying, God, forgive me for wrecking myself. You're saying, God, keep me from that and bless you for doing so. God, keep us from temptation. That's how you pray ahead of the curve. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. The last thing we're going to see is that we need to pray in faith. This is how we ask. How we ask. Let's go back to James. We're going to go to James 1, 6 through 8. And we're going to wrap up with this. James 1, 6 through 8. It says, But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded, unstable in all his ways. We have to learn to pray single-mindedly. It says the man who's double-minded, it says that he's unstable and that he's not going to get what he prays for. So just like a guy who tries to look two directions at the same time, you can't do it, you'll get dizzy, you'll fall down. The man who's unstable or who's double-minded is unstable. So what we've got to do is learn to be single-minded because double-minded people, they want God in their pocket and the world at their fingertips. They want it all together at the same time. It doesn't work that. We need to pray single-mindedly. What I think that means is that we pray for one thing and we plan for the exact same thing. We pray for one thing. We plan for the exact same thing. I'll give you an example. For our students, it may look like this. They pray, Jesus, please help me pass this test. If I fail the test, I fail the class. I fail the class. I lose my scholarship. I lose my scholarship. i got to move back in with my mom. In the name of Jesus, 
Amen. But as soon as they say amen, rather than going to study, they're going to their PlayStation 4 to play whatever new game is out with a headset on uh, until 4 in the morning. You're praying, God, help me pass. You're planning, I'm going to fail hard. Why would God answer that prayer? You didn't mean it. You never meant it. Maybe it looks like this for another student. They would pray, God, would you please help me to quit fooling around with my girlfriend? It dishonors her. It dishonors you. Please. But as soon as they say amen, they're in their car driving to their girlfriend's house at midnight when her roommates aren't home. You're praying, God, keep me pure for the glory of God, but you're planning anything but that. Why would God answer that prayer? You didn't mean it. You just made a weird speech in a room to a ceiling. It doesn't work that way. We need to pray for one thing and plan for the other. Maybe, husbands, you would pray, God, would you help my relationship with my wife? It's not what it used to be. There's something off. There's something weird. I've been working a ton. God, fix this relationship. But as soon as you say amen, rather than spending time together as a family, you have your friends coming over for the big game, or you go to work on the car in the garage, and whatever it is, there's a million examples of how we pray for something but never expect it to happen because we plan for something completely different. If you want to see God move in your life, and your family, in this church, if you want somebody to come to faith, if you're praying, God save my friend, God save my mom, whoever it is, God save this person, then you need to plan to share the gospel with them. Right? It's simple. If you're going to pray God save them, then plan to go share the gospel and go see what God does. We pray for one thing. We plan for the exact same thing. I think that if we will be a people who pray in faith to a God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and we pray for one thing, we plan for the exact same thing. We use the model that he gave us in the Lord's Prayer, that we will invoke the power of God in our lives, and we'll see God move. We'll have better relationships. We'll see people come to faith. There'll be joy in our hearts, even in the midst of trials. So let's pray in faith. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you would move in our hearts, that you would give us faith to stand on, that you would help us to pray for one thing, to plan for the exact same thing, and we'd give glory to you when you do it. In the name of Jesus, amen.